I'm a zombie. I've been bitten. You're listening to the survival podcast for zombie nerds everywhere. Zombies Ate My Podcast. Yeah, it is. My name's Ryan Murphy. I'll be hosting this evening. Uh, later on, we'll be joined by Sean Munger, interviewer, to interview him, author of the book uh, uh, Zombies of Byzantium. But for now, I am joined by Lou, and for later as well. Lou will be sticking around. <laughs> Lou, how's it going? Of course I am. I'm not too bad. How are you doing? Ah, you know, if you can't tell, I've, I've sort of come down with a little bit of a cold. Uh, trust me, it's not the zombie uh, uh, disease. Hopefully not. It better uh, not I w- be. I'll be on my way to Canada if it is. Well, you know what? Uh, I'm going to survive the show, and then I'll, I'll report in tomorrow, and we'll see how it's going. If if uh, if I've turned into a zombie, you'll be able to tell. My Twitter feed will stop talking about video games and start talking about Brian's. I hope that doesn't happen. Um, if it happens, I know where I'm going. And I'll have plenty of weapons. Yeah, north of the wall, north of the wall. Uh, but yeah, we can worry about that tomorrow. But but for today, for right now, I'd like to worry about uh, whether or not philosophers believe in zombies. Is that a thing? Well, apparently there was a study done by philosophers where they broke down various things like whether or not they believe in God, free will, all kinds of things. And at the bottom of the list... They talked about whether or not they think zombies are possible. Huh. So it's and sort of like all the things in the list are like super serious and things a lot of philosophers would actually take their time to think about. And at the end, they eh, just throw zombies in there. That's the joke question, I guess. Right. And the scary part is, is it's kind of broken into about four parts, the percentage-wise. Mm-hmm. And if you read the percentages, really what it comes down to is there's about a 70% chance that philosophers really believe zombies are a possibility. Right. Yeah, that's true. Because they, the way they, yeah. Because the answers are conceivable, conceivable, but not metaphysically possible, metaphysically possible, not conceivable, and other. Considering we don't know what other means, if you lump that with the other two, uh, metaphysically possible and not metaphysically possible, it adds up to about 75%, if not 80%. Other seems like sort of a, a cop-out. Like, I, I, don't you, like, you either believe it can happen, you believe it can, it could, you know, it makes sense, but I don't know how it could happen, and it's not going to happen. Those are kind of your three options. I don't understand where other comes into play. Like a quarter of philosophers are just like philosophers. Philosophers. <laughs> philosophers sounds like some kind of waffle. Um, so a quarter <laughs> of the. <laughs> mm, now I want some falafels. Uh, um, a quarter of philosophers kind of feel like that seems like eh, you know what I'm a I'm a pretty high end philosopher here. I don't know if I should be talking about zombies. Like, is well, that it, to me, it seems like they're going, well, I don't know all the facts. Uh, yeah. So I don't know if I should answer this question. So I'm just going to say other. I could see that. But yeah, no, that makes sense. I, I think that, that that's good on you, philosophers. That's, that's good. Um, I mean, we could talk about philosophers all day, but why don't we talk about some... It seems there's always a Kickstarter to talk about, especially zombie-related... Um, and you actually saw this one when you were at PAX East, the Kickstarter for Raise the Dead. Right. Well, yeah, I was just brought privy to this today. But oh. something, a game I saw at PAX East, Raise the Dead, now has a Kickstarter. And it's basically a story-driven puzzle game where you're a zombie making a zombie army Pikmin style. Yeah. I wonder if this will come out before Pikmin 3. Uh, with Nintendo's uh, track record, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> I, I didn't get far enough, and it's PC and oh, PC, Mac, and Linux. So they're yes. not actually aiming for any consoles, but um, yeah, Pikmin, un, Pikmin zombies. I, they also mentioned uh, they actually specifically mentioned Pikmin being one of their 
um, inspirations. inspirations. That and Stubbs the Zombie. Yeah, and I remember we were talking about Stubbs. One of the developer guys on this worked on Stubbs, correct? I believe so. Oh, okay. So uh, it's it just launched today. It's seventy five thousand dollar goal. They got about nine grand currently, and it literally right. just launched today. And uh, yeah, they got uh, thirty two days to go, and they're already on Steam Greenlight. So search for Raise the Dead on Steam Greenlight. That might help them, even if you can't afford to pitch into the Kickstarter. Yeah, quick like uh, Steam Greenlight seems to be the thing to do these days, and I think that would really help. A, a young Kickstarter like this get through because well, Steam seems to be the thing, you know. The thing about this Kickstarter that I really liked is most Kickstarters, the first fee is like, oh yeah, we give you a thank you. This one, the pledge is fifteen bucks is the minimum pledge, and you get a copy of the game when it gets released. Right. Like, most games you don't get that till you pitch at least thirty bucks. Well, that's so, the thing about well, yeah, because most Kickstarters are like well. You know, I could theoretically give them five bucks and not get a reward, you know, and that's basically like your five buck, you know, thank you tier. So uh, you make a valid point. Like, I I like it that they just, you know what, people, if they're going to kickstart this, they're going to want to copy the game, you know, so let's just, let's just make that the default base amount. And $15 is not a lot. I'm sure this game will launch for $15. Um it looks like it, I mean that's not saying anything. I mean it just it looks like a fifteen dollar title. It actually looks and plays great, judging by the video. What I saw at PAX, I couldn't get my hands on it because believe it or not, there was a line, but it was really smooth and I thought it was further along than this, to be honest. So when I saw the Kickstarter today, I was a little surprised. Hmm. Yeah, because uh, yeah, I, I haven't been able to read the, through the whole thing, but they got. They got a pretty hefty uh, Kickstarter uh, content there. They, they're saying a stretch goal of 90K for simultaneous Mac and Linux release. So it looks like they're aiming for all three platforms. But um, judging on uh, on the amount of funding they get, they're going to be looking at PC first and then Mac and Linux later on. So Isn't that always the case, though? PC always comes first. Well, I mean, it's just the way of the world, you know. And it's just nice that they, you know, consider... Mac and Linux, you know, because PC is where they make their money, right? I think Mac right. and Linux is sort of like your your hobbyist, you know, game, especially when it comes to gaming, your hobbyist section, and there's just more money in Windows. There's always money in Windows, Lou. Speaking of Windows, if you open them, you might get the disease. <laughs> oh. And, and according to a Michigan class, they're teaching health using zombies. I'm going to let you have that transition because that was close, though. Yeah. yeah I, 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 you're going to let me have it? Yeah. I, I, was, I was trying. I was trying. You were trying really hard. Speaking of Windows, let's talk about something that has nothing. Well, <laughs> Windows Windows are on a school, and they have, I'm sure they have computer labs filled with Windows PCs and Mac PCs. Um, but, yeah, this is this is cool. Another one of those sort of like... Yeah, citing that the CDC has been using zombies to teach kids, and this is basically like what uh, teaches public health using right. zombies. I don't a, know how a, you teach public health using it zombies. An, it was an epidemiology class, and rather oh. than use a real disease, they decided that they would use zombies as a as a reference to keep the class a little bit more entertained. So they had people come in dressed up as zombies, and. Basically, they saw how fast the zombie disease would spread in the class. Yeah, that's interesting. And and they, you know, it's just kids like dressing up, the you know, and they they also like just killing times. So the people who are dressed up as zombies look like they're having a good time, right? Uh, and everybody's wearing like these white shirts, so it looks like they kind of instructed everybody. Okay, for zombie day, everyone wear a, a bad white shirt, and then when you get tagged, you get the biohazard stickers put on you, but we'll also just throw a bucket of blood on you and pour some makeup on you. Know? So eh, this is interesting. Um, we never did anything like this in high school. Did you do anything like this in high school? No, no, but I think kids nowadays are a little bit more lucky than when I was in high school because wasn't it a couple weeks ago we talked about a classroom where they were teaching zombie survival classes, and yeah. this week we're learning about a, a health class that's basically teaching using zombies. Where was this stuff when I was a kid? I'd have had way better grades. 
And so that was, yeah. Nowadays, it's sort of like they, they're they given um, these activities because, you know, it's like, well, we need to engage the kids like so they can do these fun stuff. But back back when we were in high school, it's like, you're just going to freaking pay attention or you're going to fail. Like, we don't care, <laughs> you know? Um, then there's a video here about what they did, and I guess they, obviously, they took the chance to do a Flash uh, mob-style Michael Jackson thriller segment. I'm not sure of what Of course, that you can't do. dress up as a zombie and not do that. Uh, you show a little restraint. I mean, come on. We can we can be creative, but we don't have to demean, you know, not demean, but you know, put ourselves in the thriller sort of uh, dance, but... Now, now watch this, Lou. Speaking of high school and dances and thriller, I went one too far. Uh, we have another film coming out. We always talk about movies and zombies and how there just isn't enough of them. Well, they've answered our prayers, Lou. There's one called Detention of the Dead. It it looks like a bad parody of Shaun of the Dead in a high school. Um, what could go wrong with that? I, I, I watched the trailer and... I don't know. I'm not. It's kind of like it rides the line of this is going to be awful and I'm not going to watch it. And this is going to be awful and I'm so going to watch it. Uh, Sometimes those are the best movies. Yeah. And it's got it's got some uh, some recognizable faces from other sort of teen comedies, I guess we'll call it. But it's your typical setup where. You know, the nerd who knows about the zombies and uh, gets stuck in the high school with the, they, they, you know, the breakfast club group. You know, you have your cheerleader, your football player, your basketball player, the goth, what, whatever. And, uh, yeah, they just have to go around killing zombies. And uh, I don't know. It, it, it could be interesting. Did you get a chance to watch the trailer? No, because when I tried to watch the trailer, it says that here in the U.S., it's been blocked by Stars Media, who have taken the video down due to copyright infringement. Weird. Well, I I got a chance to watch it, and yeah, it, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a combination of The Breakfast Club and Shaun of the Dead, and I'm sure it'll be awful. Uh, also, judging by the fact that it's going to be releasing limited theater run June 28th. Uh, in Los I suspect Angeles. this is going to be something we see on Netflix within the next three months. Yeah, American Netflix. I don't. I, I, it's it's like it'll so, show up on yeah. streaming in the next three months. Yeah, it says uh, Tuesday, June eighteenth. It'll actually launch on videos on demand right away. So I guess Stars has their own sort of media yep. Yep. thing. So we'll see it there. And um, I gotta say, I'm always looking forward to crappy zombie movies, and this looks like one I can watch. Uh, you know, with a couple beers and some pizza and just have a good time, just watching a crappy movie. But uh, you know what? We're not going to talk about that anymore. I think uh, I think people have had their fill of crappy zombie movies. Um, it seems like we have a new one every week. So yeah, and I'm still looking forward to seeing how um, the World War Z turns out. Because the thing is, like, a lot of fans of the genre are poo pooing it, but we really don't know critically how well. It, it is you know like the reviews aren't in yet i don't think can i just say one thing about world war z sure where is max brooks he hasn't said a thing about it and that he has not scares said a me thing the only thing i've seen in interviews is they don't ask him about the movie they just ask him about how he's doing and if he's got a new book i don't see anybody asking him about this movie that makes me think that he's ashamed of this movie it seems like he is either keeping it at arm's length or just people aren't interested in what he has to think about it. But I don't know. Being, I would like to think that if he enjoyed the movie and he thought it was a good idea, he would be vocal about it. But they don't even have him doing press for it. So nope. maybe, maybe that's why he's not saying anything. I yeah. think they're afraid of what he's going to say. Well, yeah. I, they butchered my movie and I don't, they don't go see it. Well... Well, I mean, if you're paid to talk, maybe that's why he's not being paid to talk about it, because he doesn't like it. Um, but we'll, we'll, we don't know when that's coming out. Is it Ju- July, June? I believe it is July. Oh, okay. Well, we'll find out soon. July is just around the corner. Um, and, uh, you know, let's let's actually move into our next topic here. We're actually going to be talking to author Sean Munger. Uh, he wrote the book Zombies of Byzantium. Is it Byzantium? I always want to say Byzantine. 
It's Byzantium. Byzantium. Well, you know, we'll, because it takes place during the Byzantine Empire. Yeah, it's about zombies during the Byzantine Empire, and uh, yeah, we're going to talk to him about that shortly, and we'll be back on the other side of the interview. So sit tight. They're dead, and you're going to be next. So uh, we're joined tonight, Lou and I are joined by Sean Munger, uh, author of Zombies of Byzantium. 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 (laughs) We were having a conversation like, how is that pronounced? (laughs) Because I know I can do Byzantine, but I don't know why Byzantium. So uh, anyways, thank you for joining us, Sean. Uh, Sure. We we haven't had an an author on yet, so this is exciting. Oh, great. Well, thank you for having me on. Um, I guess we'll just start things off. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your uh, your new book? Well, um, this is, it's not my first book, but it's probably the book that's uh, gone the farthest so far. Uh, it's been published by uh, Sam Hain Horror, which is a, a little horror press out of uh, Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. And uh, I am actually a historian or kind of a historian in training. I'm uh, uh, getting my Ph.D. in uh, actually American history. And I'm from the Pacific Northwest. Um, History is uh, my second career, actually. I I used to be um, an attorney, of all things. And I uh, practiced uh, commercial real estate law for 12 years. Um, and then uh, decided to go uh, go back and pursue my first love, which is history. So um, I've always uh, been writing on the side, uh, you know, since I was a, a kid. And, you know, the usual, you know, geeky kid stories. You know, I loved things about, you know, aliens and monsters and robots and, you know, things like that. So, uh, you know, now that, uh, now that I'm uh, supposedly grown up, of course, none of that has changed a bit. So... <laughs> We never grow up. That's, <laughs> no, that's why we do this podcast. <laughs> exactly. So, so here I am uh, writing books about zombies, and uh, this this was a really fun book to do, and I, I think people have uh, have had a lot of fun with it. Um, it's been getting some some really good reviews, and uh, people have just responded to it in, in a way that uh, is uh, really kind of overwhelming. Uh, I. Didn't know. Uh, I mean, as, as as you point out, you know, Byzantium is kind of a kind of a, a foreign word to most people, um, and it's an era of history and a part of history that uh, really not a lot of people know very much about. So, it's sort of new to most people. And um, you know, zombies, of course, are have always been pretty hot. So, uh, I think this kind of kind of introduces. Uh, some history to people in a way that they may not expect and uh i've been having a lot of fun with it so it's it's been great so far it's really been a lot of fun cool so that was going to be my first question so why did you pick the byzantine empire for your setting (laughs) well a couple of reasons um i got uh, hooked on byzantine history oh a number of years ago and uh it fascinated me I'm, I'm fascinated by a lot of different uh, eras and, and subjects in history but I, I was just fascinated by Byzantium because it's one of those things that just flies so much under the radar of people don't really know very much about it but yet it's really a, a, an epic story I mean the Byzantine Empire stood for over a thousand years uh, for uh, your listeners who may who may not know uh, Byzantium is is what today we call the Eastern Roman Empire at, at the end of the Roman era, the empire split into East and West. And then the Western empire is the one that most people think about with, you know, Gladiator and Ben-Hur and the, you know, the fall of Rome in 476. That's all in the West. And the empire continued on in the East for another thousand years. And there's so many wonderful stories of, of you know, epic battles and, uh, you know, insane emperors and, you know, all these bizarre things going on. And, I, I always I'd never seen Byzantium really portrayed in like a popular movie or you know anything like that. It's just kind of been ignored, and so I, I always wanted to do a story uh, like set in that uh, in that uh, place, and you have a wide range of time to choose from because of course it lasted a thousand years. But um, and I, I started just thinking I had written a couple of um, uh, trial things about various uh you know emperors or things that had happened in in uh, byzantine history and just didn't didn't really work and then 
uh, one day I was just kind of sitting around, just sort of batting around story ideas, and I was thinking, well, wait, you know, zombies, you know, that's, and I had wanted to do a zombie story as well, but I never thought of putting the two together. And then the idea sort of occurred to me, and I'm like, well, okay, zombies in Byzantium, how would that work exactly? So I came up with that idea, and uh, things just kind of snowballed from there. And after that, it was all kind of technical. I had to choose, like, you know, when it was going to be set and how the situation was going to come about and, and how to do it in a way that, that really still was uh, true to, you know, classic zombie stories because that's, you know, obviously that's what, what people, want to, people want to experience. So that's, that's kind of how it came about in a nutshell. The interesting thing I, I think about going back before the period of uh, uh, you know pistols and, and sidearms and guns in general, uh, I assume that's far enough back. But uh, you know, is is that you know shooting them in the head, shooting in the head is sort of like the go-to how to kill a zombie. So when you sort of remove that from the equation, you, you have to get a little more creative, right? Because some of the things we talk about in the show is it's like okay. Not everybody has guns. We talked in the pre-show about me being Canadian. Uh, guns in the house is a, is a sort of a foreign concept, right? So, like, we, I'm always looking for, okay, you know, what can I fashion into a, a spear of some kind? So uh, that must be fun, too, for, for your readers and also for yourself to kind of think of, you know, it's like, well, you know, I can't go all walking dead on this and have Rick with a <laughs> hand cannon, right? <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, and it was it was fun, kind of coming up with with you know how they would deal with the zombies in a in a medieval uh, society, basically. Um, so what you know, one of the uh, kind of my uh, I, I had two sort of bibles that were sitting on my desk as I was writing this book, and one of them was uh, the Oxford uh, Encyclopedia of Byzantium, and the other was uh, Max Brooks's uh, Zombie Survival Guide. <laughs> so <laughs> I kind of had those two books sitting on my desk as I was as I was writing this thing. And uh, uh, Max Brooks is uh, he has a spiel about you know what are the best uh, zombie weapons, and I one of the things that sticks out of my mind is where he says you know blades don't have to be reloaded. So um, I, and. Of course, swords and you know those types of you know uh, medieval weapons were uh, were the the major kind of the major armament at that time. Um, so I've got you know a lot of there's a lot of stuff with swords. There's people with battle axes. Um, it was fun to do some of the like the the scenes where there's not really it's not like an army facing off against zombies but there's a there's an outbreak somewhere and and people in a makeshift situation have to adapt uh like early in the book for example there's a uh, there's an attack of zombies against this uh this inn out in the countryside and so people are picking up pitchforks and uh you know big skewers that they use to uh to roast pigs over the fire and you know those types of things um, so they have to uh, they have to get pretty creative. Uh, but the, the Byz- uh, in, in Byzantium, they did have one weapon uh, that I think would be very effective against zombies that is unknown in the modern world, and that's something called Greek fire, uh, which is essentially like the medieval equivalent of napalm, basically. Mm. It's this very, very flammable, oily substance, and they used to uh, squirt it out of these big siphons, it was the most closely guarded state secret probably in all of human history to this day. We don't know how – no one knows how to make Greek fire because it was so carefully uh, carefully guarded. But you, you light it on fire and basically you know, it burns and you can't – it's like water won't do anything. It will just scatter it. And it burns so hot and so intensely that uh, – I think uh, uh, if you if if you happen to be lucky enough to have some of that, and some zombies were uh, were giving you trouble, you could probably uh, probably take care of them in pretty short order. So uh, yeah, that I was, think it's, I was gonna say I think that's also the inspiration for the fire priests in uh, Game of Thrones. Uh, they, could be, they, yeah, they, huh. yeah. I was gonna say they they use a, sort of like the Greek fire um, setup in I think. Well, I've only I haven't I haven't read the Game of Thrones books, but the, in season two, I believe they use it. And um, you know, that's that's interesting. And I, I didn't uh, I didn't I didn't realize that it's such a guarded secret that we don't even know how to make it today. But I guess I should be thankful, considering how powerful <laughs> and how deadly it is. Right? It's not yeah. like we need another one of those. 
Yeah, pretty much. Uh, there, there were in the Middle Ages. There were very few uh, societies that managed to fend, successfully fend off invasions by Vikings. But the uh, the Byzantines were one of those societies, and they did it because of Greek fire. The group of Vikings came down to raid Constantinople. This was in I don't know the tenth century, I guess. And uh, yeah, they they uh, the Byzantines just kind of rode up with their with their galleys and started squirting Greek fire at them. And the the Vikings were like, "All right, <laughs> you get, we're butting out. You guys can no, we're sorry. <laughs> we'll you, go home. you keep it. We're uh, <laughs> we're gonna go back to the ocean where there is no fire. <laughs> yeah, uh, I can see that for sure. Um, and I, I would think zombies, they would have, they, yeah, Greek fire would work very well against the slow. Now, that's another thing. Like, what type of zombies are you using? In your, are they the fast type? Are they the slow type? Um, that's something we also talk about in the show, like the different. Well, you, you mentioned going, basing, having the zombie survival guide on your on your, mm-hmm. uh, on your your desk while you were working on this. I, I believe they're the, of the slow type. I, I think are. Max Brooks is pretty serious about that. So that would actually help in medieval times as well, being the yeah. slow type. Yeah, I, I, I did uh, the uh, uh, the slow zombies, um, and I did that uh, deliberately for a number of reasons. I think it's kind of more traditional, uh, the you know George Romero type of uh, you know classic zombie scenario usually involves slow zombies. I also think it's more interesting um, because um, it's it's a different kind of threat. Like the, in the very first chapter of the book, uh, Stephen, the main character, and then his friend Theophilus, they are on the road out in, out of the boonies somewhere. And they encounter this village that's been torn apart by zombies. And there's one that the, the people in the village, uh, try to fend them off by, uh, herding them into a church and setting fire to the church. But one zombie escaped. So in this in this first chapter, there's this sort of flaming uh, this zombie that's on fire that's that's pursuing them very slowly, and mm-hmm. uh, I think that's kind of an interesting thing because it's like, well, it's horrifying and, it, and it's scary, but you know, a slow moving zombie you can you know run faster and you know escape him or you know whatever, but you know, what if you have fifteen thousand you know zombies and and it doesn't matter if they're moving slow it's it's still like inexorable so i I think that's a i i i enjoy the sort of the tension that that creates where it's like one of them is you know okay it's sort of a threat but fifteen thousand of them it's like you know what are you gonna do yeah especially when you can only kill them by hitting them in the head you know exactly Soldiers are used to stabbing in the chest, lopping off arms. Mm-hmm. And a few minutes later, you're going, wait, why aren't these things dead yet? Right. E- exactly. And uh, there, there's a number of, uh, there, of course, the, the book is full of zombie battles in various, uh, various places, each one kind of increasingly more desperate than the last. But there's, you know, there's lots of, uh, you know, chopping off of arms and, you know, things like that. But it's sort of like like dealing with a... Like a, a, a group of medieval troops dealing with a, with a number of zombies, you you wouldn't destroy them all at once. You'd kind of like whittle away at them. So, you know, you cut off their arms or legs, and I mean, they're still lethal, but at least they're not moving as fast. So <laughs> you could kind of regroup and then go in for the kill. At least that's sort of the operative strategy that they start to develop. Hmm. Yeah, that that works. I mean, uh, I don't know if you're a you're a, a, a gamer or anything, but uh, when you mention sort of history and horror, I'm immediately drawn to the uh, the old Eternal Darkness game on on mm. GameCube, which I think I think had a segment. I could be wrong; it's been like ten years since that game's been out, but I think they had a segment in in the Byzantine area, or they at least had sort of a medieval section where they dealt with sort of horror and how they would have dealt with that mm-hmm. back in the day. So I find I'm a big I'm, I'm a big fan of history as well. I, I might have learned a little bit about the Byzantine era era in high school, but uh, you know, history is sort of this this thing we don't play enough with when it comes mm-hmm. to the zombie sort of mythos. It's mm-hmm. sort of just mm-hmm. like current apocalypse. Let's do right. this thing, right? Because it's so right. much better and or not better, but uh, it works for a lot of the mediums where zombies are popular. It's like it's a lot easier to sell a you know guns and explosive zombie story as opposed mm-hmm. to something that takes place you know, thousands of years ago, right? So mm-hmm. right. It's a really cool concept. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, so 
how many actual historical figures did you include in this story, and was that a challenge? <laughs> Well, yes, it was. There are some uh, some actual historical figures. Uh, the most prominent of them is uh, probably the emperor uh, Leo the Third, and he shows up in uh, chapter three, and then is sort of like a he's kind of I wouldn't say really a villain, but he's sort of a foil for the main for the main characters. Uh, the scenario, really, of, of the book is uh, there's a, a zombie outbreak in in Byzantium, in the kind of in, in the in the rural area, and the main character Stephen, he's a monk, actually, he's an icon painter. Um, he hap- he and his friend come upon this village, and they see what's happening, and they they become you know they they understand what's going on, and they become alarmed. So they decide the best course of action is to go to Constantinople and warn the emperor that the zombie outbreak is occurring and to get him to send an army down to the the place where the outbreak is believed to have started and destroy them. But the emperor kind of has his hands full because at the same time, uh, Byzantium is being invaded by the Saracens. And and that is a historical event. This uh, takes place in the year 717 A.D., uh, and the Saracens uh, believed that they were going to come and uh, basically wipe the empire off the map at this point in time. They laid siege to Constantinople. So Leo is obviously uh, uh, concerned about that. So it becomes sort of a sort of a human conflict, really, where um, those you know our, our heroes who know about the zombies are, are desperately trying to get this guy's attention and say, "Look, you know, I, look, I understand you know you have this foreign invasion to deal with, but you know we've got this really big problem." So uh, Leo III is kind of played, uh, we don't really know much about his personality uh, historically, so I had some room to to play with that. And uh, he's a a bit of a buffoon, he's a bit eccentric, um, but he's actually, uh, the things we do know about him from history is that he was very, very shrewd, he was very ruthless. Uh, He came to the throne with the ingenious strategy of uh, kidnapping the son of the previous emperor and holding him hostage until uh, until the emperor <laughs> decided to abdicate. So, <laughs> you know, you got to have a pretty big pair to, to try something like that. Um, the other thing that uh, that's true that we know about Leo the Third is that, uh, and this this is a subplot in the book. Uh, he was a follower of this religious doctrine called iconoclasm. This was a big thing in Byzantine history at this time. It was a religious controversy where basically the clergy, certain uh, aspects of the clergy said, well, we can't depict uh, Christ or God or the saints in visual form because it would be uh, idolatry. And that was a huge controversy because there was a long tradition of religious painting and such in in Byzantium. And Leo was very much an iconoclast. So that conflict sort of is, is kind of roiling in the background while... Uh, the zombie outbreak is going on and while the invasion by the Saracens is happening. So uh, Leo III, he's a historical character. Uh, His wife, uh, Empress Maria, she shows up. She's also a historical character. Uh, Some of his advisors, uh, one of whom uh, later uh, tried to rise up against him much later on after after the period of the book, um, so there's a number of uh, there's a number of historical characters. Um, later in the book, you finally get to meet the Saracens, and uh, you see their uh, commanders named Maslama, and he was actually a historical figure. He was a, uh, a general, Saracen general, actually the uh, brother of the caliph who ruled uh, from Baghdad at the time. So yeah, there are historical characters who who come in and out of the book. Um, I don't really expect readers to know who they are, but they are real, and they were a lot of fun to write just because you have kind of that blank slate, uh, so to speak. Uh, but also a challenge because I mean, it's if you when you take a historical character, you have to be at least somewhat true to uh, the things they did in real life, uh, but. As a writer, you have to make characters interesting and enjoyable for the readers to interact with. So I, I hope I did that successfully. Hmm. That's a good point. I mean, working with historical figures, have you had, and you mentioned being a, training to be a historian and whatnot, and have you had other historians sort of read the book and sort of look at the characters? Because 
I mean, you say like you want to make the characters interesting. You want to, you also want to include historical people, but you want to remain true to to what we know of them. And I wonder, uh, has anyone sort of caught on that and given you like a thumbs up, good job with with keeping it historically accurate um, as best you can? I don't think zombies are probably. We don't know. I mean, and that's the other cool thing too about the history that so far back in these cultures is that. Um, it's kind of neat that we don't know a lot about it because you can mm-hmm. fill in the holes with your own sort of creativity, right? So mm-hmm. I guess I, I'll jump back to my first question. Have you had anybody else sort of his, historian-wise kind of pick this up and, and things like, you know, say good job with what you've done with the characters or has it sort of just been like zombie fans in general? Well, it's been mostly fans, but I did have uh, some interest from a blog actually that is about um, – uh, history of Byzantium, and mm-hmm. they ran a uh, they ran a little piece on the book, um, and I correspond. I don't know the the author of the blog. Uh, I believe she is a professional historian, but I'm I, I I'm not entirely certain. But she was uh, interested. She had not read the book, but she did a, a kind of a little uh, little blurb on it. But she was mostly uh, commenting on some statements I made in a in a an interview with a. Uh, with a uh, horror site from Canada called the Blood Theater, uh, maybe Ryan being from Ontario, maybe you, you've heard of them. Um, but uh, I, I had done an, uh, an, a print interview with them, and the, one of the questions that came up was about you know how did you know how did the concept of horror really work in medieval times, and and I kind of made the point that I hadn't. That, that it's it, in all the reading I've done about Byzantium, it's sort of difficult. You, you don't see um, them talking about fear or horror in a sense like we experience it in modern culture. Their fear, they, they had fears and they, they certainly experienced horror, but they, they almost universally uh, understood it in a religious context because uh, the Byzantines were very, very religious. They were Orthodox uh, Christians, and religious matters made uh, all the difference to them just in their their normal lives. So there was some debate about that point, and I thought that was very interesting because uh, the the a woman who who uh, wrote this blog uh, disagreed with me on on the way that, that that she perceived I had phrased that, and and there was a very interesting debate about well. You know what did Byzantines really? You know how did they experience horror? Was it secular? Was it religious? You know how did they? How would it compare to what we fear today? Um, so that there's been some some uh, back and forth among uh, historians as well um, about that. I haven't really had a uh, another like uh, Byzantine historian uh you know read the book and 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 make any specific comments about it but uh hopefully i would really like to have that conversation with with somebody because i think there's um i think there's a lot there that uh that would be interesting to talk about hmm. you know uh, we we had a, a news segment prior in the show where we were talking about um high schools using the zombie sort of idea to teach you know uh surprisingly enough health class and the <laughs> cdc use zombies to sort of talk about epidemics and stuff uh this seems like a really cool way to teach people history you know mm-hmm. teach people mm-hmm. history of the byzantine area era so i mean could you see that happening uh, could you even like i guess using history could you do like what you've done here or what they've done with uh, what's that other book um pride and prejudice pride and, and zombies right, yeah. And yeah. just insert zombies into like history to kind of teach like you know uh, stuff about uh, Byzantine medieval times, even like even more recent in the 1900s with the world mm-hmm. wars and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it would really help to sort of uh, grasp onto young people's minds who are like, zombies are cool. Right. And while they're still like getting the key concepts of what was, you know, how culture was back mm-hmm. in those days. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I, I think so. I, I think that uh, fiction is, is one of the most uh, useful ways that we can interact with the past. Um, and I think that it, something like this would be a lot of fun for people to read it, you know, recognizing that it's fiction and being motivated to learn enough about the real story to be able to determine which, you know, obviously, you know, zombies are fiction, but, you know, did, Le- you know, did this emperor Leo really exist? What was iconoclasm about, you know, 
I, I think it'd be really interesting for people to to get interested enough in the story to be able to to, to do some of that uh, uh, parsing for them for themselves. So I, I think I think it's great. I think it's uh, you know fiction like this and and you know using zombies to teach history. I mean I'm certainly all for that. Um, part of my uh, in my PhD I am a, a teacher of history. I have classes. I just taught one today. Um, not about uh, Byzantium, although I have taught that subject uh, in the past. But uh, you you do have to do things, I think, to engage people with history. I, I think uh, so many of us have really been done a disservice by you know dry, boring history teachers in, in the past. And, and the number one lesson that they teach us is that you know history is boring, and it's it's really not because there's. There's so many interesting stories and so many interesting people that are uh, you. You can't make them up. I mean, you, you can't. Uh, some figures in history are just so over the top that that uh, you know a writer would would just throw up his hands to to you know to make them up. But uh, but you know they were real people, and so yeah, I, I think it is a, a way that people can engage with history and, and understand it in, in sort of a fun and creative way. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, history, you're, you're right. History to me seems like it's a really tough uh, subject to teach. And I mean, when I was in high school, uh, we had two history teachers. You had the one history teacher who was the wacky and fun history teacher mm-hmm. who, who would teach history. Then we had the, the hard ass sort of history teacher, but was still interesting because um, he's just really good at teaching history. He was still a hard ass, but mm-hmm. you know. So we never we never did anything like zombies and stuff, but we did do like a like a medieval times sort of thing. So there was still like mm-hmm. these activities. Um, but I I think that would be really interesting. So you you mentioned you teach. Are you a, a high school, a university, or college? I guess. I I, ch- I am a, a teaching assistant at uh, at a university, mm-hmm. and as part of our duties uh, in in the PhD program, uh, the history departments, most history departments have uh, like kind of two tiers of classes. There are the large survey courses for undergraduates, uh, which are your basic, you know, U.S. history and Western civilization and things like that, and then there's um, groups of uh, smaller classes for graduate students. And usually what history departments do is they have a, uh, prof- a faculty professor who will teach one of the large surveys, but they'll have teaching assistants who will do discussion sections where they actually um, interact with students and do readings and, uh, you know, the grading occurs at that level, those kinds of things. And that's what I'm doing. And it, it, it's it's really interesting because the assignment changes every semester. Mm-hmm. So I've done, I've taught a lot of U.S. history. I've taught, uh, last fall I taught world history, which was, which was very interesting. Um, this semester I'm teaching a Western civilization. So we just went through, um, you know, 19th century Europe and, uh, you know, French Revolution and uh, Industrial Revolution and things like that. Um, and I love teaching. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I went back to school was to, was to do this exact thing, uh, you know, to, and the first day that I started, uh, in the, in the program, uh, a couple of years ago, you know, the very first day they threw me into a classroom with, you know, 25 undergraduates and, you know, gave me a piece of chalk and said, go to it. And, <laughs> you know, that, that was, it was really challenging and uh, it was, you know, walking into that classroom and seeing those, you know, the students there expecting me to, you know, to, to do this uh, for the first time uh, was a pretty amazing moment, you know, in my life. It's kind of one of those, like one of those dreams you have as a kid, you know, where you go to school, you know, wearing your pajamas or, you know, something like that. It's like, it's like one of those moments except in real life and mm. uh, you have to kind of... You know, you, you kind of get, uh, you just sort of walk into that room. And you're like, well, you know, this is this is what I signed up for. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> but yeah. it's it, you know, it's a lot of fun. It's it's I love teaching. It's really engaging, and it's it's great when you see when you see students really get it. And mm. it's there's so many things that that you can that you can tell them about the past or about. Uh, you know, it's not just names and dates. It's, it's, it's an analysis. It's, it's, you know, why did these things happen? 
Um, and it's more, it's often, you know, history is a lot more complicated, I think, than, than uh, particularly students, you know, when they come out of high school often think it is, you know, think it is, I think it is kind of names and dates. Um, but it's, it's really processes, you know, why, you know, why did the French revolution happen? You know, why did, why did the Turks take Constantinople in 1453? You know, what happened? You know, why, why is that important? So I think those are big questions, and I think are interesting questions, and it, it's it's great when when you know kids really get it, um, and so that's that's kind of what I'm doing. Cool. I think yeah, I, I I gotta agree with you. I think high school does a really poor job of explaining to you history. Most of my history teachers all through high school handed me a book, said read this mm-hmm. chapter, answer the questions, and we'll move on tomorrow. Right. And then I went to college and took my first U.S. history class and was like, wait. Why didn't I learn any of this four years ago? <laughs> yeah, I, I know that feeling exactly. <laughs> <laughs> if teachers had told me this, I would have been way more interested in this Absolutely. stuff. Uh, that's a very good point. Well, uh, okay. Well, uh, Sean, why don't you give us a, a quick rundown of where everybody can find your book and, and find more about yourself, and, and we'll, we'll wrap this puppy up. Well, uh, the book has been published by uh, Sam Hain Publishing, and uh, it's, it's spelled S-A-M-H-A-I-N, like the, like the metal band. Um, so you can go to their website, uh, samhainhorror.com, or you can find it on Amazon. A lot of people have been, have been buying it on Amazon, so you can uh, just go to Amazon, type in my name, Sean Munger, or uh, Zombies of Byzantium. You can uh, buy it off of the... Uh, Samhain Horror website, uh, both you know, there's a, a paperback version and then uh, there's an ebook version as well. Um, you can go to my website, which is uh, seanmunger.com, all one word, S E A N M U N G E R, and you can read. Uh, there's a, a little section there um, that uh, will link you to where you can get the book. Also talks about some of my other projects. Um, I actually have a, uh, I'm in the middle of writing a serial, actually. Uh, a World War II spy thriller, and it's called The Armored Satchel, and it's running on a website called Juke Pop Serials, uh, J-U-K-E-P-O-P Serials.com. Uh, that's free, so, you know, that's, uh, you guys you sign up to read the, the other chapters, but uh, we're on chapter eight now, and uh, that's, uh, that's starting to, to climb in the rankings, so I'm, I'm excited about that. Um, so yeah, you can uh, basically, I'd, you know, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, you know, the major retailers. You can order it from a bookstore uh, if if you want to do that. So that, there's a number of ways that uh, people can get their get their hands on it. Cool. <clears throat> I do Sorry. the notes, so I will make sure there are links to all of this in okay, the notes. Great. So yeah, we'll have we'll have ways of people finding it, and we'll we'll, uh, we'll put it through social media. But they, uh, yeah, this is great. So I'll, I'll thank you again, Sean, for joining us okay. uh, and. If you have any future zombie projects you want to talk about, you're more than welcome to come back on. Or, okay, or if you just yeah. want to chat zombies one time, we can have you on as a guest. I think this is great. Great. I, I, I think I can uh, probably return. Uh, I've got another zombie book coming out uh, next spring, about a year from now. It's going to be called The Zombie Rebellion. Uh, and it takes place in uh, western Pennsylvania in the 1790s uh, during the Whiskey Rebellion, looking a little-known chapter in... Uh, in U.S. history, so we've got uh, we've got zombie outbreaks, and we've got uh, you know people shooting muskets, and uh, you know guzzling moonshine in the backwoods, and uh, all that kind of fun. <laughs> oh, and George Washington, George Washington shows up. So uh, awesome. I think that, I think that was going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> That's going to be coming out from the same publisher, uh, Sam Hain Publishing. Cool. Well, we'll, we'll definitely have uh, people look at it for that, and and I look forward to having you back on. That sounds like a really Thanks. cool idea. I. Being a Canadian, uh, I just got to say, like, I find American history very interesting. <laughs> and when you throw George Washington in there, like, I can attach myself to these these big names. So that sounds great. Cool. Cool. Well, thank you very much for having me. This has been a lot of fun. Oh, no problem. Thank you. That was our interview with Sean Munger, uh, author of Zombies of Byzantium. And we'll have links in our notes for you guys to get a hold of uh, his book uh, he's on Twitter and lots of different things. But unfortunately, that brings us to the end of our show. Uh, Lou, so sorry to say, we got a, we got a jet. Another week of Zombies Ate My Podcast is over. I can't believe it. I mean, really? 
<laughs> I want to kill more zombies. Come on. Ah, you know, it, we really do. We keep saying this, but we really do need to play Left 4 Dead and stream it because that was the most fun we've ever had uh, on the show. Uh, it's been October. We did it once. So I was like, that was so fun and we need to do it again. And now it's May. Um, you know, maybe it'll be just a yearly thing where every time we do Extra Life, we just play zombies. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we don't have any listener feedback this week, but if you want to get a hold of us and get your stuff, uh, read on the show, you can find our website at zombiesatemypodcast.com. You can email us, info at zombiesatemypodcast.com. We're on Twitter and Facebook. Twitter is at zombiespodcast and facebook.com slash zombiesatemypodcast. You can find our lovely hosts, including myself, on Twitter at rmurphy, Lou's at busyzombielord. You can find the missing Rick and Bob. Rick's at Rick Piven, and Bob is at Bobbert F. Quick shout out to Joel Duggan for the artwork. You can find more of his great art at joelduggan.com, or check out his comic at starcrossedonline.com. And with that, Lou, this has been Zombies Ate My Podcast, and remember to always do... You don't have to shoot them in the head, but blood force trauma, that'll do it. Good night. You know what we're missing? Bob and Rick? We didn't mention that at the top of the show. (laughs) But, no, but we're missing Bob's zombie jokes. Oh, God. Bob needs to come back, if nothing else, for the zombie jokes. Oh, I was worried you were going to try and do one. No, no. I was just thinking our our listeners are probably happy. I dare not do that. Yeah, that's good. I don't want to step on Bob's toes. No, no, no. He'll come after you. He's got... Bad joke money. Well, not just that. He doesn't live that far from me. <laughs> oh, so he'll actually literally come after you. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not an inconvenience to come after Lou because you guys live so close. Author Sean Munger, Zombies of Byzantium. Available now on Amazon and bookstores near you. Yeah. Exit. I'll skip over the details of my last week. Hey, speaking of school, Ryan, did you ever get detention? But you took it from me, so I was like, "Damn it!" <laughs> that would that would have worked. <laughs> I, I I have for the record, I have never got detention. So I'm gonna come back in in three, two, one. Ah, oh, ah, oh, ah! Oh, that was so great, Lou. Don't you think that was great? I think that book's been added to my wish list now. <laughs> if you're wondering why this is so cheesy, it's because we're actually recording this before, before the, the interview. Yeah, I just want to make sure everyone <laughs> understands that, just in case it went horribly wrong. Like if zombies attacked us during the interview, uh, for the record, this is being recorded before.